Hello, listeners. Before diving into today's episode, I wanted to share a few ways you can go deeper with the ideas I talk about in this podcast and support my work. The first is my book, The Pathless Path, which many of you have probably already heard about, but if you haven't purchased it already, I really think you'll love it. The second is The Pathless Path Community, which I just opened up as a one-time pay-what-feels-right access fee. And in that group, you can meet hundreds of other people from around the world on unconventional paths like me. Finally, I'm working on a second book tentatively called Good Work, which is going to explore my deeper relationship with work and how that led to a lot of the transformations in my life. You can follow along in my newsletter, Pathless, which you can also find a link to that in the show notes if you want to learn more about that. Without further ado, let's dive into the show. Welcome to the Boundless Podcast. I'm Paul Millard, and I created this podcast because I'm passionate about making sense of the future of work and having conversations with the innovators, creators, and thought leaders who are carving their path in today's fast-changing world. You can check out the podcast and more on boundlesspod.com. Yeah, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Thanks, Paul. Super excited. Awesome. So we met at an event talking about entrepreneurship, and I left wanting to learn more about your path and what drove you to start your current company, Owners Up, which is a platform that's helping solopreneurs like me uh, build connection and reach their goals. We'll definitely dive into that, but I wanted to start in a different place. So you have an interesting background. You grew up in Miami, and you said you always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I'd love to start with a story I stumbled across you shared of your first startup when you were given a cash register at four years old. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so I was raised by a single mom, and I have uh, two older sisters. My little brother wasn't born yet, and I remember like they were always playing Monopoly, and my older sisters are like seven years to eight years older than me. So I wanted this cash register because, you know, when you play Monopoly money, it's fun. And my mom was always about entertaining, so she was having this party, and I was like, hmm, I'm going to go with my pigtails. Probably that's what I was assuming. I had no clue when I was four years old. I'm going to stand right in front where the door is, and I'm going to charge each person for going into the party. And, of course, you know, imagine a four-year-old right there sitting there, <laughs> like, greeting everybody and asking for money and then uh, being like, hey, this is like – and I was saying numbers that were crazy because I was used to Monopoly money, right? And I was right. getting some of it. And my mom all of a sudden – just sees me with a bunch of cash and she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm using this cash register. So yes, I guess that was my first time in what do you, what would you call that? Event planning? I like it. How, how much money do you make off uh, the guests? I don't know, but I think I got, I was into cars. So I got like a hot wheel car. I'm sure. My mom like gave the money back and like uh, gave me a hot wheel car. I'm going to ask my mom about that, how much I made. Yeah, definitely follow up. Um, So did you have any other entrepreneurial ventures as you got older? Well, it's funny that you say that. Um, I always started, like, I was always thinking about selling things throughout. And I had this journal where I would write, like, um, 
I wanted to open up a toy store, right? So I would write down all my toy ideas because I thought the adults just didn't know how to make toys. And I wish I had that right now. But uh, one thing I always recommend uh, to other friends is Girl Scouts, right? Yeah. And I remember going to Girl Scouts. Like, that's a technique selling those Girl Scout cookies. And then you really get to understand entrepreneurship. Right. So it's part selling. Yeah, I mean, th- those cookies are uh, damn good. But I think it's... Uh you encounter some of them in the train stations and some people are really hustling, getting after you and you're like, All right, I have to buy these cookies. So they get their badge, of course. <laughs> exactly. So you, you ended up going on and going to an amazing college in Wellesley. What did you learn there that kind of helped shape your, how, what your path would become? So Wellesley, I learned, so Wellesley is an all-female school. Right. Um, weird, because some people might not know, because I know when I was uh, growing up in Miami, I didn't know what Wellesley was. I thought maybe it was a community college. It's well-known up there, like Hillary Clinton, Mellon, Albright, but in Florida, you're used to University of Miami, right. University of Florida, right? So what I learned at Wellesley was like, I, I was a doing really well in my high school. I was like probably top two, top 3% over there, right? Athletics, you know, and academics. I was, I was strong. There's some people stronger than me. And, but at Wellesley, wow, it was a whole nother level of like intelligence and grit and ambition. And then also learning how to collaborate and then encourage one another to succeed. Right. So, yeah. I mean, you probably went to school with like some uh, future president or, or at least hopefully. Um, yeah, actually, there's some of my friends are like one of the few female venture capitalists. Wow. That's yeah. pretty awesome. Um, that's great. So you, you said you wanted to be an entrepreneur growing up, but you still ended up in the corporate world. Talk to me about uh, how that happened and where your head was at during that. So... Right out of college, I only did the corporate for a bit, but I did the summer internships also yeah. in um, in college. I, Wellesley, they produce investment bankers, doctors. At least when I was going there, they produce right. investment bankers, doctors, the typical route. And nobody was really into the startup route. Um, and in 2000, when I graduated, the bubble just burst, right? The internet bubble. And I was like determined to go into a startup. And when you recruited, you had Goldman Sachs and all those companies recruiting. So what I ended up doing was, um, I ended up going to corporate. I, I said no to American express and I said, um, went to, I forgot what the company was. It was like corporate, but still startup. It was a sales and trading form currency platform. And then I was going from startup to startup to startup until I was 25. I was working crazy hours. I didn't care what I was doing. I wanted to learn everything from like cleaning and arranging the desk to doing like PDFs to anything. I would say yes, 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 and always make myself available to do more work. Well, it was probably a good time given uh, I bet a lot of people weren't actually pursuing that path after the bubble crashed. Yeah, most people went corporate, they went back into investment banking. And I had some friends who were um, recruiting me and I and I just looked at them. I'm like, you're working crazy hours. Like, this is nuts. And she's like, we'll make good money. And I was like, but you don't look so good. Yeah, it's, uh, I know for me, it's almost the uh, the certainty of that is the challenge. 
Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to know exactly what I'm going to be doing every day. Um, it's more kind of chasing that challenge and uh, continuous learning. So when when did you get it in your head that you, okay, I'm going to start my own company now? I think you started it around 25, but uh, walk me through how you got to that point. So I, it was probably about the fourth startup I was at. And at this point, I already got myself to VP in a short amount of time. And I was like, wow, I could run this. I'm practically running this. My boss is on a cruise for the next two months, and I'm running this. And so at that point, I was like, I can do this. But I was there's still some fear in me. Right. And I remember making that decision, like, do I jump and just do this? And I asked my mother, and I was like, hey, should I start my business? She's like, yeah, of course. And I'm like, uh, what happens if I fail? And she's like, well, you'll be exactly where you are now. And I was like, that's true. And I go, what happens if nobody wants to hire me because I failed? And she goes, you wouldn't want to be in that culture. And so I went for it. Most parents would not do that. My mom I was know, always that's, like, that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I think it's because we grew up in like a lot of times in poverty and stuff. It's like, what else do you have to lose? The only thing you can absolutely lose is your health and your family. That's right. meaningful, right? Everything else you can always build up. So we've always learned that. So I went for it. I love it. So much wisdom from your mother. Where where does that come from in her, you think? Um, she was she came from Colombia and she moved over here at the age of nineteen. She was the first one in her family and she has like about five other siblings. So I think she was just more of a risk taker. And then her first child is um had osteogenesis imperfecta which is brittle bone disease. So my oldest sister, who's a firecracker and a feisty, audacious woman, um, she she was breaking her bones. So by the time she was like two or three years old, she's already broken like, I don't know, over 50 bones. So imagine coming from another country, getting married here, and then your first child is disabled, right? And, And it's one that's a lot of people say, there's only about uh, 40,000 people, I believe, that have this. And the severity varies. So imagine, like, they don't know anything about it yet, and it could look like it's child abuse, but it's really just bones breaking in your collagen. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, so it's that um, looking at resilience and risk differently. I think so many people people struggle with that. I, uh, in my coaching work, I'll have people go through that exercise to say, Okay, how could you get back to where you are today? And usually it's one email to an old colleague and say, hey, will you rehire me? Um, and once they do that, they go, okay, I don't really have a lot to lose here. Um, have you fa- have you seen that in other people as well who are kind of scared to uh, change things up? Yeah, I, would, I always tell members if they're about to do a big jump, I was like, what's your worst case scenario? Right. And then they realize their worst case scenario isn't that bad. Right. It's, uh, and then they go for it. Yeah. I always, I always have people mentally kind of visualize who I bet everyone has 50 people in their life who would take them and feed them and give them shelter. Um, but we, we kind of have this mindset that we're out there on our own in today's world. But in reality, I mean, I tell people, Hey, if nobody's going to take you in, I guess you can come uh, live with me and I'll take you as well. <laughs> 
That's very nice. You may have a list of people now. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I haven't had anyone take me up on it yet, so uh, still waiting for that first person. Um, so you started your first company, Blink Ads, and you were focused on a performance-based marketing agency. You were, you were pretty much at the cutting edge of this. Uh, doing a lot of this online marketing before, I mean, it's so pervasive now. Um, mm-hmm. But wh- wh- why that kind of firm and uh, why at that time did you start it? It was the wild west of <laughs> online advertising. Yeah. And I love creating things and I love being part of it. And the interesting part is now I'm now you are you are right. It's everywhere, and then there's also this whole today's Women's Day. Happy Women's Day! Uh, and why I bring that up is like there's not that many women in that industry. I was one of the few, right. especially one of the few women business owners. So there's barely any women employees in there, you know. And now I was one of the few one the business owners. So I thought that was really cool. And why did I get into it? I just I love that. Um, I didn't have to take on an advertiser just to take it on. I would say, hey, let me look at your campaign. Let me look at everything. And if I generate this much, you pay me per sale or lead. So I got to choose my clients who I want to work with because I was confident I was going to be able to produce some sales and leads. So that's performance-based marketing. Uh, so what what were some of the lessons you learned? Uh, you ran that for quite a while. And what were some of the challenges and lessons that emerged over the years? Oh, so many. So that was my first business, right? right. People always it was like probably crazy in the first year, especially. Yeah, actually, to, uh, I was fortunate. I was I was able to grow to over one million within the first year. I worked really hard. Um, so many lessons there. I remember one client who didn't pay a hundred thousand dollars, and you know, when you go outside and you ask advice, people are like, "Just sue them." Actually, <laughs> that's not the best answer. Right. Yeah, because suing takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, just a number of things. So you just got to see the signs. That was one of my biggest lessons. And then hiring people and putting systems together. So sometimes it's all in your head and what ends up happening, you hire the first person, you kind of train them and then they end up hiring people. But there's no system there. Right. Right. So there's a lot of mistakes I met made. (laughs) Yeah, so how how do you think about internalizing systems around people and hiring? That's something I'm pretty fascinated with, and I think it's still just very hard. So when you think the only way, like a really good book is called Built to Sell. Yeah. And I don't have you read it yet? I haven't, no. So it's not... Basically, it's not about like building a company to sell, but it's really about thinking about how to niche your product, your service... And then how to eventually make it such a, a process that you can actually systemize it and runs without you if needed. Right. And so everyone thinks that we're like a special snowflake and our business can't like the manual's not there or, you know, right. there's so many special instructions. But the easier it is to put something together, the more powerful your team is and the more everybody knows that they're contributing to each other. And everyone can have that lifestyle they, they want. So if like, they were missing, if they wanted to take off for a month, they could because you have a system in place to have right. it run. So with Blink Ads, when did you decide it was uh, time to take the next step or uh, move on from that? I think it was we were eight years in. Um, we were expanding and that excitement for growing a business now it was just growing 
and we were doing well, but I wanted something different. I, I wasn't, yeah. I realized I'm a person who likes building things, but I'm not a person who likes maintaining the business or going to that next level in that sense. And what I mean by the next level is, um, where do I want this to go? Do I want this to be a company that sells for tons? Like what is that level? And I want to, and I had an opportunity at the same time to be a partner of a company called Spokesmops. Right. And that was when I was like, okay, I have to make a decision because they put me as, um, at first I was a CMO and then they put me as a CEO to raise money. And I was like, oh, okay. So they were like, you're the one that has the credentials to raise money. And I was like, I've never raised money. I was like, I only bootstrapped. <laughs> so right. um, when we were raising money, we, we had an investor who was interested. And as he was going to, through the due diligence, I really had to think about it. I wasn't married at the time and I didn't have kids. And I had to think if I take down this money, is this what I'm passionate about? Because right. I know myself to be a person who will risk it all just to, yeah. succeed, to succeed. And I actually resigned. And that was a really big change for me. So here I was. I moved off from Blink Ads to go to Spokes Moms, went through this whole thing, excited about the women movement of moms and everything. And then when we were about to raise money, I was like, is this what I really want? Because right. I might not be a mother or a family because I'll be spending all that time working crazy hours. And that's just me. Maybe someone else is different. But I know that if someone gave me the responsibility of of like a million, two million dollars and making sure that I can 10 times that, I'm going to give it all I got. Right. And so I uh, resigned. I did some really thinking about my life. And I took off to Vietnam and just traveled. And I was like, what am I really passionate about? What do I want my legacy to be? So how long did you how long did you go travel for? Travel about like I would say it was like two months to month two two weeks to a month and just kind of like going back and then I went to back to my family for a bit and then just took a sabbatical right and thought about things like how that next jump was going to be. So I'm curious about this. Did it take a while for your mind to kind of like unwind from those opportunities and kind of the hard work you had been doing to start thinking about what is what are those things that matter to you? Yes, it did. It almost took um, the shock took a bit. That was like the biggest like people were like, oh, starting your business. Was that a shocker? I was like, no, because you're just in action. Right. When you're like total, it's like uh, physics, right? Something moving then suddenly stopping. It's just like, you're just like, what did I do? Did I make a mistake? Where's my identity? It was basically, what is my identity now? Right. Yeah. So you almost lost that in what you had done in the past, or at least it was diminished and you're trying to redefine a, a new identity moving forward. Mm -hmm. An identity that I'm more aligned to. Yeah. And more of like, um, I think in my 20s, I was driven by making others happy. Yeah. And maybe status and ego and what can I achieve, right? Um, because I, w I was kind of excited to see what I could do. Right. Like, I was already against the odds, like, oh, what's a percentage of this woman um, going to a top school? What is the percentage of this woman starting a company? What is this woman, you know, it's already the, the odds are against me. And it was kind of fun to find those odds. But now I was like, well, I'm not happy. Yeah. That's uh, that's fascinating. I think 
I meet so many people that, especially in your 20s, and this resonates with me as well, just trying to prove people wrong. Um, it can mm-hmm. drive you, but it's not sustainable, right? Once you've proved enough people wrong, it's like, all right, you need to figure out what you actually want to do then. Exactly. And then yeah. what is it that makes you really happy? So what makes you really happy? When So I did this kind of exercise, like what are my values? And then um, I always tell people to, when you write your values, have somebody challenge your values. Right. Um, so I used to think, oh, a value for others that I like is ambition, but it's actually work ethic. And you have to challenge it because ambitious could be like people just like screwing one another over just to get to the top. Right. Where work ethic is something that like has integrity in it, right? Yeah. So I'm going on a little bit of a tangent, but so I went through the values and I'm like, what is it that lights me up? So I wrote a list of everything I get excited about when I have conversations, the whole thing. And then it was like, what do I enjoy doing and what do I wish I had? Because I was a, um, I've been a long distance runner since I was 14 years old and I went to college and I competed there and I always like the team sport, but it's an individual sport, but you're in a team. So you yeah. all have goals and then you're in a team kind of encouraging one another. And right. so I put that same concept into owners up. That's fascinating. So how long, how long was the total sabbatical and when did you start, um, moving on, uh, owners up just in terms of that timeline? I don't know the exact timeline. It felt Looking back now, it feels very fast, but when I was in it, it was like slow motion. And I felt like that the 25-year-old, you know, if I saw my 25-year-old who just jumped, now all of a sudden I'm more experienced and I'm a little hesitant because now it's really aligned to what I want. And now I'm actually scared to fail because if it's something you really want, that's pretty scary because if you fail, then wait, what is it that it, it is? So I had to have a bit of encouragement. So I had friends being like, this is a great idea. And then literally just like pushing me. And I was like, I don't know about this. And one one of my friends created a website for me. So it was like, it's happening. So it was funny. Like when you're in your twenties, I, you just jump at least for me. And then later on, I needed a community to encourage me. Yeah. So that was something that really jumped out looking at owners up. You talk about building connection. And I think your origin story, you talked about joining some of these mastermind groups in which there were just a lot of people. You had a hard time connecting and you were thinking to yourself, well, why am I going to open up to these people? Um, so how, how did you, how do you think about connection in terms of what you're doing, especially with solopreneurs um, that are working on their own a lot of the time? So connection is a hard one. Most solopreneurs are isolated and there's this whole thing that we're on Facebook and there's so many communities out there and we're supposed right. to be like connected, but we're, what, what's really happening is we're just comparing ourselves. Right. We're going on there, reading this stuff and being, why am I not successful? Why am I not this? Why am I not that level? Where the other person is just posting everything that makes them look great. You know, there's some people who are going to be open and vulnerable and those are the amazing groups to be in. And you're probably going to read those things, but are you the person who comments about it? Right. So what I, so with owners up, we put entrepreneurs in groups of five and then we allow that open transparency to happen where you can actually confine in other people and kind of be like, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Anybody have some actions to take 
And I think it starts off with like the leadership, right? I'm always open about what I had to go through. What are some of the challenges I went through? So it opens up that dialogue. Right. Yeah. What are, so we actually met, we were both on a panel where we were talking about entrepreneurship and I kind of felt a bit weird being on the panel because <laughs> I don't really see myself as an entrepreneur. I kind of see myself, I guess this solopreneur tag would fit. But how do you think about these different models of how people are creating in t today's world? Um, where would it, how do you define like solopreneur and who the types of people you're working with? So the people I'm working with are overachievers, right? Who ended up like doing really well in the corporate or whatever it is that got them to where they were. And then they were either doing well and making money, but they had to sacrifice something. It was either sacrificing time with their family and friends or sacrificing something in their health. And now they want to start a business and they're creating something that's, that's impact. They love what they're doing. Right. So what we help, what we help is, um, have entrepreneurs, we help them work smart so they can enjoy life and continue making that impact. And I think more and more people are starting, like we generally, um, I would say 80% of our businesses are service-based business. And service-based business are the easiest ones to start off, right? Because you don't have inventory, you don't have investment. And you can do it wherever you want in the world if that's what you want to travel, right? Similar to what you're right. doing. Um, and I, those are the ones that usually if it's a service you really are passionate about giving back. Um, so yeah, I would say that the, the solopreneurs are popping up everywhere and it just depends on why are you doing this, right? There's other people who are doing it for the money. Those right. are not the ones like we are, we encourage people to be profitable, but not just driven by, by uh, money. It's profitable, but you're enjoying your life. Yeah, that's, uh, that definitely resonates with, I think, what I'm trying to do as well. But how, how do you have those conversations around money? Um, especially, I mean, people that are doing this kind of work really are just passionate about the work they're doing. How do you help people think about money as both, uh, part of their business and not something that's going to like hold them back from staying motivated and creative? Hmm. So, so it's more along the lines of the question is like, um, some, some people don't like to look at numbers, right? And don't right. like to like deal with their finances and like, oh, is this another numbers thing? I, I want to make a difference. Right. So I think numbers is a way to, to help you understand where you're going. So it's like running. Someone could be passionate about running, but if you don't have anything that you can measure, it's going to be easy for you to give up. Right. So when you have someone numbers, it's kind of like, how many people do you want to impact? Great. And then we kind of go back with the impact with numbers and we remind them of what they want, like what they want to do, their why. We always have every entrepreneur tell us what their why is. Right. So it's uh, it's defining those things about how they want to live, what kind of freedom they're trying to create for themselves and uh, how they want to be um, with their connections and family or friends and things like that. That's awesome. So what what are some of the challenges you see most in the groups that you help facilitate? Most entrepreneurs are in servicing their clients. 
and that is it. So they're in retention mode. And so what ends up happening, they do a lot of sales and then they go off for three or four months and then just kind of are in retention mode. And then, so they're going through the cycle of like tons of money, not so much money, just consistent tons of money, not so much. So the feast and famine cycle. So what we do is we help them realize how they can start producing, like generating leads and sell in a consistent way where it's not one that's like, oh, this month is sales. I got to do this or else I can't pay this. Yeah. So it's about integrating those, those actions, kind of the small things you want to do every day to just just keep consistent and uh, basically putting your uh, your views, your perspectives, your stories out there. Yeah, and we have them help them put a system together so that they can find prospects. And it's not one of those where it's like, I got to make phone calls and, oh, most right. of these people are word of mouth. Right. And we like to get them past the word of mouth stage. How are you thinking about defining success uh, in your life today? So I'm on a big mission to, um, right now, more than 80%, even 90% of companies fail within the first five years. Right. A small percentage barely even make a million. I think a million really doesn't, someone can make a million and be happy. Some can make a million and be unhappy. It just depends on the person. Right. I just want more people there making a difference. So how do I define success is having people I'm able to impact people so they can um, have a community. I'm all about team. I think everybody in their life should have, I guess, some people, millennials call it squad. Everyone should have a squad. <laughs> and I personally have a squad for almost everything I'm tackling in my life. Even me getting married, I had a squad. I had a squad of people kind of checking out. Like I had my sisters swiping left and right for me on Tinder. Um, yeah, it was great. And then I had, um, I have a default, meaning I, what I call a default is something that, um, stops you. Right. And when you're scared and my default is I like to, when things get serious, I sabotage relationships because I'm so scared of getting hurt. So I had, uh, friends making sure I didn't sabotage things when I was getting scared. So that's, back to the, the question, I just went off on a little tangent. The question was like defining success. To me right now, uh, my husband and I are, we're in the baby making process. And what I want to do is be a place where I am making a difference, growing my company, traveling, and just enjoying life to the fullest. Uh, I know you've traveled a lot. What role has travel played in your learning process and development? Um, I So throughout my early 20s until now, I always go to um, a third world country or like a developing country, some say. And I love that because I'm immersing myself into a complete like culture that sometimes when you see them, they might be the poorest people, but they are some of the happiest people I've ever right. seen. And then it's also like I'm coming from New York where I'm used to having (laughs) everything like 24-7. And then just – and you get so used to like everybody around you being super super successful. Then you go to these countries and you're just like, wow, you you get back to what is really important, your health, family, and friends. Well, the weird thing is, I mean, I lived in New York for two years. A lot of a lot of people you would think are quote unquote successful are not very happy or not happy with um, how they're spending their time. Mm-hmm. They're working crazy hours, yeah. And so what happens is they make all this money, and then um, 
they use, they go shopping or they go to nice dinners to kind of like help them numb their work, what they're doing in their life, right? I think everybody at one point has done that. For sure, yeah. I, I don't have the answer for that, but definitely something I noticed uh, very specific to New York. So how are you thinking about um, health and um, exercise? I know that's a big role um, for you as as you're building this business and uh, focusing on community. Exercise is huge for me. That is my stress reliever. Some people yeah. meditate. I meditate, but meditation wasn't an easy one for me. But working out, I wake up every morning and I work out. Um, I just think that... Uh, so I found out that I have my oldest sister's uh, bone disease right when I was in my 30s. So I have the le- a, a less severe version of osteogenesis imperfecta, which is brittle bones, which is a collagen mutation. And during when I was growing up, I didn't know I had it. But when I looked at my sister, I would always be just so grateful for being able to move and having her in my life, but really being appreciated. I remember one time I was in a dance class and she said, I want to quit dance class. And she's like, you can dance. Why would you quit? And that day I realized like, you know what? I'm going to go all out and my body is a temple and really appreciate and be grateful for it. So exercise is huge in my life. That's, uh, that's fascinating. Is that where gratitude and grit comes from? You think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Great is like passion and perseverance. Keep going and just um, anytime, like when I was running and competing and races, I just just really looked at my body and was like, wow, I can move. This is this is great. Many people don't have that opportunity. That's great. So thinking about your path, you've done a lot of different things. What advice would you give to somebody that's either graduating college now or starting out early in their career? Oh, awesome. So if they're graduating college, so if you're still in college, (laughs) do as many internships as you can. I don't care if your workload is crazy. Look up Parkinson's Law, right? And Parkinson's Law is you basically uh, fill up the amount of time you allot for yourself. A quick little summary, right? So if you have seven hours, you'll fill up up those seven hours and like you have one assignment it'll take you seven hours to do it if you lie yourself right. one hour you'll have one hour but um so that excuse of not having enough time like just do the internships as much so you can figure out what you want now if you graduate from college and um, you're trying to find a job I would like look at all the companies that you want to work for look at the culture look at the environment and I recommend going for a startup because a startup, you get a lot of experience. You might not get paid well in the beginning, but the good thing is if you're a value to them, you will get paid, right? In the beginning, you might not. You might get paid pennies, <laughs> but the experience, right. invaluable. Yeah, I was saying compared to the corporate world where if you're kicking ass, like you're likely just going to stay in your own role at your current salary. Mm-hmm. Unless you're like an investment banking or management <laughs> consultant where you have bonuses, right? Right. But... um. And then the second part is, what was the second part of the question? Yeah, it's early career um, advice you would give to somebody that's trying to figure out how to carve a path. I think a lot of people I talk to, so I talk to a lot of people early career, and they'll hit that one or two jobs in the corporate world, and they'll be like, okay, now what? Like, I didn't know that we were going to run out of, like, a a set path, and they kind of have to figure out how to create their own um, road in the future. 
I would do an exercise and say, what is it that you see yourself doing? What lights you up? And like, where do you go when you go and research things? Like when you find yourself on the internet, what do you find? Are you drawn to reading about? And then I would go on LinkedIn and look at these people's profiles and look at the, and, and, um, just reach out to them. Right. There's few people that reach out to people via LinkedIn. I get a lot of requests. I always answer. Um, but just reach out. What's the worst case scenario that they don't respond yeah, especially if you have similar interests. I mean, when mm-hmm. I have people that send things to me that say they're interested in the same things, like I am just as excited to talk to them. Um, so I wish more people would did it. I mean, when I was graduating college, we didn't really have LinkedIn yet. So uh, it's such an incredible resource. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. If we didn't have LinkedIn back, we would have to kind of somehow find their email address. There was no Facebook, at least when I graduated either. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, to close, are there there uh, one or two books that have really helped shape your thinking in the past couple of years or even broader in your life? There's so many good books. I would have to look at my Kindle. I'm on um, – oh, there's before I say that, there's this thing, and I really, really um, encourage everyone to do this. Create a challenge each year for yourself. Yeah. And whether, and like try to do it in each department of your life. So like if it's just, if you're in a relationship, how can you make that person feel 30 days full of like, feel acknowledged and loved, right? If it's um, your family, how can you talk to your mom? And like for me, I uh, call my mom when I'm walking home. So these are just random things. And the reason why I brought up the book one when you said that is I have one where I'm supposed to read two books a month. And that's a lot for me considering yeah. the opening of going. So I'm like reading tons of books. I have to look at my Kindle, which one's like. How are you have, doing uh, so far this year? Do you have four under your belt? Yeah, I'm finishing. Um, I'm like, I'm one behind. Um, so right now I am reading uh, How to Fail at Almost Everything. Wait, what is that how it goes? Oh, is that how the to, Scott Adams book? Yeah. Yeah, that book, I love that book. It was really good. And then um, I just got a French bulldog, so how to raise a perfect dog. (laughs) But so I'm just trying to think through so many great books. Uh, Have you read the book Super Better? Uh, I've listened to a podcast about the the concepts, but um, haven't read it yet. Yeah, there's, I have to, uh, that's a good question. What's some of your favorite books right now? Oh man, so many. <laughs> yeah, see, it's a tough um, one. I th- I think um, I have like the books of like like meaning of life that really resonate with me, like Last oh. Lecture, um, How Will You Measure Your Life uh, by Clayton Christensen, Man's Search oh, for I Meaning. I heard that one. Man's um, Search for Meaning that was recent for me too. Yeah. So measure your life. I haven't read that one. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I read a lot, so it's uh, it's always like what I've read lately. Um, big one for me has been Lynchpin by uh, Seth Godin. Um, mm. It's really about um, creating your own path and creating and putting putting what you're good at out into the world. Well, thank you so much for uh, chatting today. Um, a lot of useful insights. I enjoyed uh, hearing more about your story and um, how can uh, people find out more if they want to learn more about what you're doing. 
Um, go to ownersup.com, follow us on Instagram, YouTube. We're going to be sharing more stories about um, entrepreneurs who just decided to start their business and make a difference. Awesome. I love it. Thanks again, Tanya. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. This has been an incredibly fun experiment for me, and I'm loving talking to such incredible guests. I've received some awesome feedback, and I appreciate all the suggestions and just the praise. I'm kind of blown away. Uh, It's just so amazing to have such positive support. I hate asking for further support, but would love if you could share or recommend the podcast to one friend. If you are inclined to support more, I've actually set up a Patreon page, which I am experimenting with and potentially going to release some exclusive content and with the goal of building a community of people who are passionate of making sense of the future of work and enabling people to do work that matters to them. To learn more, you can check that out at bondlesspod.com. Again, thanks for the support. And if you have ideas, questions you want me to answer on a future Q&A podcast, or just suggestions, we'd love to hear them all. Please email me at paul at think-boundless.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. I really appreciate the support and especially always love when people reach out letting me know what they think about the specific episodes. If you want to go deeper into Pathless Path World, you can, of course, check out my book. It's sold. It's going to hit 50,000 soon. I think by the time you're hearing this, it will probably have already sold 50,000, which is mind-blowing. But I continue all the support of people that buy and share the book. If you want to meet others on Pathless Paths, I have a community, which you can find at pathlesspath.com membership, and you can join and meet hundreds of others around the world trying to make sense of weird paths and meeting others along the way. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good day.